Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Kim Reynolds of dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. I am in the visitor's coaching box, which is about the 30-yard line, glassed in, and... Uh, Taking a look outside, the rain is back. It's just been relentless all day. Big win for Washington where they clinched the uh, berth in the Pac-12 title game with a win over Oregon State 22-20 to in front of an announced crowd of 38,415. Capacity is 35,000, so that looks like they had about you know, 34, 3,500 standing room only people. And in the second half, some of these people didn't return because I'm telling you right now, guys, that rain, I've been doing this a long time. That was the most relentless rain I've been in in a long, long time. It's still coming down, you know, well after the game is over. But, you know, where we've been in games where it's rained hard for periods of time, it was just like somebody turned a faucet on and didn't turn it off until the fourth quarter. But uh, good win by Washington. And, you know, guys, it was really interesting. I thought that this was going to be a blowout by Washington. I thought their offense would really come together. But I think the weather had quite a bit to do with it. But on their first drive, they made it look easy. Yes, they did. Nope, they did make it look easy. They kind of did their tried and true thing. They they mixed in, sprinkled in a few Dylan Johnson's run, Dylan Johnson runs with getting the ball to uh, Roma Dunze and, and he had a nice score, perfect pass from Penix. I mean, it really did look like you wouldn't have known that it was absolutely pouring down rain and just kind of going nuts like that because, um, like I said, they just went right down the field, no problems at all, and it was like, what weather? Yeah, could you guys tell on TV how bad it was? Oh, yeah, I could. <laughs> It looked pretty bad, and then if you look at all the pictures that that um, you know are posted, you know, I mean, the one on the front page that I have for the game wrap is Romo Odunze catching his second touchdown, and there's you can barely see him because of how how rainy it was. Yeah, and then again, you know, in the first half, Jalen Polk had one go through his hands. It looked like uh, Rome had one go through in his hands, and um, weather was definitely. Uh, um, had something to do with the game specifically in the first half. I, I I don't know. Maybe maybe I missed it with Odunze. The one that I the ones that I remember are two by Jalen McMillan and at least two or three by uh, Jalen Polk. Yeah, um, I think I think Rome may have dropped one, but I mean he was yeah. he was the one that really came up money when it mattered the most, and and not just in the at the end of the game, but in the basically throughout the entire game. Well, what's crazy, too, is Washington made it look easy on their first possession, but Oregon State took it downfield and answered with the help of a penalty. That penalty was a killer, by the way. Yeah, the third down. Yeah, oh, the false start. Or yeah. The, yeah, the, the jump. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, boy, Tanufi got he, he got caught on that a couple times uh, tonight. Kim, I was real curious, though, with the weather and setting the scene with the atmosphere and everything else. Obviously, it was being built up as this game that could have arguably been one of the greatest games in Oregon State history with all the things that were on the line. Did you feel like the atmosphere was a fair reflection of, of kind of all the things that were at stake? 
I go back to this isn't the first time Washington this year has played in a hostile atmosphere. When you go back to the Arizona game, that was parent weekend, and that was pretty crazy crowd. The USC game, that was a sellout. That was a pretty crazy crowd. Uh, East Lansing, Michigan, you know, that was a big game for Michigan State. That was a pretty crazy crowd. So this was nothing new, and I wouldn't say this was anything different from what Washington has seen, you know, a couple of times this year. So uh I kind of go back to what Kalen DeBoer said. <coughs> We're built for this. And I talked to you a little bit about this, Chris. You know, you get um, an op, you, you go into somebody's stadium like Oregon State and they're loud when Washington has the ball. With all the pre-motion shifts Washington does, it also makes it difficult on the defense because they can't hear the adjustments either. You know, I'm at a different angle, so I can't tell if they got caught with any of the pre-stat motions or not. But I think that when a crowd like this one uh, gets on their uh, horse when Washington has the ball, I think it impacts the defense as well. So, but but basically you're saying that compared to Arizona and USC, the noise level and everything else from your perspective didn't really affect Washington as much as maybe some of us thought it might. No, I, I mean, and not to degrade, um, you know, the um, uh, Oregon State crowd at all, because, I mean, they were loud, but this isn't the first time. It's probably the loudest I've ever seen it in here. But you know, you've got the overhangs a little bit between, you know, the goal lines, but nothing like Washington. And this is only 35,000 capacity stadium. So, yeah, it was loud. Did it impact Washington? No. Did you think any of the false starts were caused by the crowd? I don't think so. Well, no, all the false starts happened on Washington's defensive side. Yeah. So I didn't really notice any false starts on the offense. But maybe there was one. I just know 10 penalties overall for Washington for 64 yards. And they did definitely have a couple of key ones at the line of scrimmage that that certainly affected their ability to get off the field in certain situations, which, you know, could have come back to cost them. But ultimately, like you said, Kim, they have certainly found a way to win in, in very different fashion. Yeah, like I said, this isn't the first time this year Washington's faced a hostile crowd that's, uh, you know, energized. You know, and I think the rain, I, I can only imagine what it would have been like if the weather would have been better, because even though it was sold out and over capacity, there were still some empty seats around here because, it's, like I said, it wasn't great. It, th- there wasn't really any wind, which kind of helped things, but it was just the rain. And I always say water's undefeated and I'm soaked. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, the other thing, I don't know if how much it impacted the game. I think it impacted Washington a little bit. But DJU, uh, I'm probably going to butcher his, his last name. Unga Lalele. Ui Angalele. Ui Angalele. Scott, yes. do you think the weather impacted him? Or do you think he's that bad of a passer? Because I was not impressed with him as a passer. I, I think he struggles. When, when he gets pressure, he struggles. Now, he made a couple throws where he had guys hanging on him. And he was able to complete him. That third down uh, throw to uh, was it was it Molden, uh, whoever it was, Molden. Molden. Yeah, and you know that third down throw where he throws it all the way across the field. I mean that was that was nails. And can, we we can discuss it if you guys want. I think now maybe Michigan State would have you, but I think given the circumstances and everything that was on the line tonight, guys, I think this is as good as the front sevens played all year long. Yeah, I mean, you take a look, people complain about the defense, but when you take a look at the numbers, they only gave up, well, the, the numbers are a little bit skewed, by the way. They gave up 319 yards. 
but there's minus 40 on that bad snap that led to the safety. So, you know, they gave up 370 yards, but, you know, I thought that they kept them mostly in check. So I thought the defense actually played pretty well. And also, you know, we can't, if we're going to talk about the defense, we, we got to talk about what was going on in the secondary. They were down Asa Turner. Uh, Cam Fabiculanen wasn't there. Uh, uh, this Nunley. Yeah. Vince Nunley wasn't there, so they had Mikel Esteen back there at safety quite a bit. And in addition, they were without Alfonso Tupatala, who didn't suit. Yeah, that was yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, Carson Bruner, wow, what a what a game. I mean, between Trice in the front, Bruner in the middle, and Jabbar Muhammad in the back, those were really your stars on the defense. Uh, and I would I say I would say Tuli too. I would say Tuli too. Oh, Tuli was huge. Tuli now, yeah. now granted, since he was on kind of a snap count, yeah. I mean that was pretty clear. I mean they made that kind of a a, a key factor all night for Washington. Uh, Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit yeah. talked about that all the time. You know the fact that he was on a snap count, but boy, I'll tell you what, when he was in the game, he really made an impact. Yeah, and, but those other three guys, I thought, were just nails yeah. all night long. The the thing is, uh, Thule went so they put up a stat. Uh, I think it was midway through the third quarter. Might have been midway through the fourth quarter. I can't remember exactly, but they put a stat up where um, when Thule was on the field, um, Oregon State was averaging about three point three yards per carry. When he was off the field, they were averaging four point eight. Yeah. So that that right there tells you he was worth about a uh, you know a yard and a half. Um, yeah. Every care, every time they wanted to run the ball. Yeah, real quick. Carson Bruner had 14 tackles. Uh, Dominic Hampton had 11. Eddie had seven, and Elijah Jackson seven. Braylon Trice was six, and I still think that Braylon Trice leads the country in being held and not getting a call on that. Well, I, so, I'll tell you what. Braylon Trice played the run like nobody's business. Uh, yeah. Today. When, it, when mean, it comes down to it, guys, who who is who do you think if there is going to be a Pac-12 player of the week that comes out of this game, which I think there very well should be. Is it is it easily Jabbar Muhammad because of the two picks, or is it Braylon Trice because Trice had some monster numbers? Yeah, too. and the thing is, you could say Carson Bruner, too, because he's the one that forced the fumble that right. Jabbar Muhammad got. He's the and, one who tipped the pass. that And the 14 tackles. And he had 14 tackles yeah. and basically started out of nowhere. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I, mine would be as great as I think Jabbar Muhammad played because he had four or five pass breakups too. In addition to, you know, what he was able to do. I mean, he only had one tackle, but that's because that's because he didn't need to make tackles. He just knocked the ball away. So has, has the award ever been yeah. split three or four ways? Yeah, <laughs> by yeah. the same team. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually gonna give it. I, I gave my, um. Defensive player of the of the game to Carson Bruner, <clears throat> just because of his 14 tackles, the fact that he's the one who forced that interception on that at the end of the first half. He's the one who forced the fumble that get that put Washington in a lead that they never relinquished, you know, extended their lead that they never relinquished. So um, that's why I went with him. But my next probably would have been Muhammad just because of all the impact that he had. He basically shut down one side of the field. Yep. And, and just I may have spoken too soon where I said, you know, the rain was coming down, but it wasn't that windy. OK, the wind is picked up. I'm looking out there and man, it is ugly, <laughs> ugly, ugly outside. I'm going to see if I can somebody to go get my car for me, but it's still Jim, coming. Jim, down. The game's over. Game's <laughs> over. <laughs> I still got to head to my car. But um, 
Yeah, and I'm still soaking wet. But, uh, yeah, I thought the defense played pretty well. Uh, and, you know, DJU, I'm just going to call him that. He's a load. I mean, when it's third and short, fourth and short, he's a load to bring down. What is he, 250 pounds? Yeah, yeah. That, that fourth down play when he needed three yards. Washington actually hits him at the line of scrimmage. I think it was Carson Bruner who did, but he wasn't able to wrap up because he was engaged with somebody else. And and um, and then he rumbles for what, 26, 26. Yeah, was? I think yeah. that might be a season high. Yeah, that was unreal. Yeah. Seriously, guys, the other thing to think about, too, is you took at the yardage that the defense gave up on all those things. They gave they had to go and defend 73 total plays. So Washington's offense still averaged more yards per play than the defense when you add in the 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 snap and all that stuff that Oregon State had to contend with but it's still amazing that they did what they were able to do and they had to defend 73 plays tonight that's pretty impressive and Washington only had 53 that's right yeah no I mean when it comes we talked all uh, week about game control field position turnover battle all the things that kind of go into a kind of a titanic matchup of, of two top 10 teams, like two AP top 10 teams, I'll say. And the only one that Washington ended up really winning other than the scoreboard, which is obviously the most important one is the turnover battle. And the turnover battle ended up being huge for them because not only did it end up being the margin of victory with the, you know, with the punt and everything else, the sudden change play that turned into a safety, but those, you know, the, the three turnovers they were able to get, I mean, to be able to take that that turnover that Dylan Johnson had as he was going in for the touchdown and Carson Bruner forcing it literally like a couple plays later to get that kind of sudden change back to back, that was huge. I mean, those kind of momentum plays early was what allowed Washington to get that 22-10 lead at half and then be able to kind of not so much milk on it, but be able to have a cushion, a little bit of a margin of error because they needed all of it by the end. Hey, Scott, you know, I'm really not big on making critiques and, you know, complaining, you know, when you, when a team wins. But, boy, the one thing that scares me that I really thought them chasing that, uh, you know, going for that two-point conversion, chasing that extra point, I thought that could come back and bite them in the butt. And it's lucky they didn't. Yeah, I, I, I still think you only do that when you have to do it. I understand why you do it because you want to go up by two touchdowns. But I, I just I think that uh, it was way too early. Yeah, it was way too early in the game, in my opinion. And this isn't the first time DeBoer's done that either. It was basically right at the very, very end of the half. So now if it's on the other side and it's and it's Washington's first drive of the third quarter in the same circumstances, would you have been OK with that? No, I just think there's way too much time. And it just seems like so many times that you, you don't get that one point by chasing to get that extra point. And it just seems like it really impacts the game in the second half of the fourth quarter. And uh, it could have come back to bite them in the butt. And I can't recall the exact game, but that happened earlier again this year where they went for two to try to do that way too early in the game. So I'm not a big proponent of going for two to get that two to a possession lead unless it's later in the game. I mean, I, I understand that they're confident, Ryan Grubb's confident that they're going to be able to get those. But by and large, the last handful of games, they have just not been great inside like the five trying to get in, like just being able to force things. Like, you know, maybe they would have been able to find a run there that might have been able to get in. But it seems like they're almost always going to pass in that situation. And it's almost assuredly that, that Penix is going to look first to Rome. 
and then maybe play off of that depending on who else might be out in their well, routes. It looks like they had trips right and Rome out there one-on-one coverage, but according to the broadcast on Oregon State team, they said that Odunzi got mugged. I don't know. I couldn't see it very well. Well, but and then obviously, as you guys know, it's it's ironic because it, it really does go to show because people will critique the offense, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit, but it just seems to me that, that Washington, and, and people are going to say it's stubborn, but they really stay true to who they are in their identity on offense. And a big part of that tonight was Michael Penix leaning on Roma Dunze. So it shouldn't have come as a surprise that that last play to be able to get that first down to salt the game away, one-on-one coverage with Roma Dunze, and, and he was going up against a freshman. And, Kim, you talk about how, you know, the pre-snap um, shifts and all that different stuff to set up um, to set up mismatches and things like that. That's exactly what that pre-snap shift was was doing because it left Rome over there all by himself and then moved everybody to the other side. Yeah, it was, it was funny, by the way. So, um, you know, standing next to one of the guys that you guys know real well, one of the um, associate athletic directors when Washington got the ball back um, and it was third down, third and three. Um, uh, I said, I think, is Michael going to throw the ball? He's going, oh, hell no, hell no. He says, you run it two more times, game over. And then they threw to Rome. And he goes, see, I told you they'd throw the ball. <laughs> no. Exactly. And, and and by the way, on that play to Rome, on that last uh, throw to Rome with Dunsey, I think that was the only time during the entire game where it wasn't raining. It wasn't raining at all during that. During really? That. No, it was not raining at all. It didn't lighten up even a little bit in the second half. About halfway through the fourth quarter is when it stopped. It, it started lightening up about halfway through the third quarter, but it was still raining because the first half was just relentless. And just when I thought, you know, it couldn't get any worse, it got worse. But, yeah, uh, about halfway through the fourth quarter, it's, it got pretty light. And uh, at the end of the game, when uh, Penix threw the ball to Odunzi, it wasn't raining at all. Yeah. Take credit to the ball boys for keeping the balls dry. Well, well, I mean, Kayla DeBoer talked about that pregame. He said that's their job is, is to keep the keep those things dry, and they did. I'm, obviously, they that's kind of what they're supposed to do. Hey, hey Scott, do you want to reenact the, your famous quote uh, when we were on KGR? Or my response, you want to want to reenact that? What? Quarterbacks are used to playing with wet balls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're good. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Uh, it's coming out the third quarter, um, you know, just right off the bat, you know, holding uh, Oregon uh, State down and then Jabbar Muhammad getting a, a big, big, big interception and then Washington failing to capitalize on that. Yeah, that was that was really to me that, you know, if if Washington hadn't gotten the hold or if Washington hadn't been able to hold on to the ball on that third down uh, play to Odunze, that would have been my play of the game if Washington had lost was Washington being unable to capitalize on that uh, initial interception by Muhammad because if they can it, at minimum if they can get three points it's a totally different game and but I mean realistically Washington should have been able to get a touchdown out of that they weren't able to do it and you know credit to Oregon State but you know Washington needs to be able to get scores in those situations because it would make things a lot easier for themselves and I think I assume Washington fans saw this but Grady Gross actually made the field goal the first, the first, the first one, start, yeah. yeah, where the false start was called. So the 34-yarder would have been good, but the 39-yarder, nope, no good. Was that penalty on Quentin Moore? They're well, quite, they, they're, they they're called it on him, but it was really on on Jaden Green. Yeah, it's it's a little harsh. I mean, I'm not saying Quentin Moore had the best game in the world because he had a couple holds, and it it's difficult. I get it because he seemed to be genuinely upset on at least one of those. Like he, I, I think he kind of claimed that he didn't have. He didn't do what the the ref said he did, but yeah, on that one I agree with Scott. That looked a little bit more on the on the snap than anything else, which is kind of weird because it was the second false start on the centers, like one on the snap, and then the other one I think uh, Brailsford had one as well. So yeah. yeah, it was just it was just you know what it's just one of those games where it's even though it shouldn't technically be Pac-12 uh, after dark, obviously this time of year it gets dark earlier. So we we definitely had a few kind of after darkish moments, I think, in this game, especially in that second half. Also, something that was kind of comical before I forget was um, after last week's play where they got the call for the illegal man downfield, which was kind of like an illegal formation, and uh, DeBoer was just you know adamant that it was not the right call. You know, Kalen DeBoer was in the tunnel with the officials for about five minutes and I'm, uh, before the game. And I am sure he was going over maybe some calls and, you know, look for this and look for that because he didn't want to get that penalty again. Oh, I'm not surprised. I'm not not surprised at all because, you know, most head coaches that I've seen, you know, they, they'll usually have try to have a powwow with the head official at some point, you know, because there's obviously things that they like to put into their game plans, little wrinkles, little things like, you know, offensively, they had that little wrinkle where it was kind of that little mini pitch instead of the full toss out to the sides. It was just kind of a little like, like Penix was kind of pseudo faking. He might keep it and then, and then dump it a little bit. I know Jonathan Smith, ironically enough, he used to do some of that stuff, some of that action with Jake Browning when he was when he was the OC at Washington, which I thought was interesting. So but yeah, not surprised at all that DeBoer had a confab with the with the officials because that's that ends up being important stuff at the end of the day. Hey Scott, I want you to talk a little bit about uh, Michael Penix's new thing that he has added to his game. Michael Penix is now a dual threat quarterback. Hmm. Yeah, I mean he he chose to run the ball on that that one 
I really thought he was going to get caught, but uh, ran ran for at least two or three third downs. Ran for uh, uh, on third down for first downs. Um, ran for um, a touchdown. Uh, had a really good night when when he chooses to run. I mean, I wish he would do it a little bit more, and I think the coaches would like him to do it a little bit more. But he he's uh, content just to sit back and let the game kind of come to him and and figure out, hey, if I can get out and get some yards, I'm going to do it now. But you know, that isn't his main thing. Second game in a row where he's rushed for his uh, for a touchdown, calling his own number. I think I think both of those were designed plays. Yes, hundred yes. percent. Yep. And I think basically the the one tonight was just to the right, whereas the one against Utah was just to the left. It was just kind of a convoy play. And I think give credit to Ryan Grubb. I think those are a beautiful call when you're when you're kind of searching for a run game inside the ten in the regular handoffs and the inside outside zone stuff isn't necessarily as clean as, as they would want it to be for him to get Penix out there and just kind of convoy it. I think that's a great call. Yeah. Also Dylan Johnson, just being more and more impressed with him. I hope he's okay, but uh, they just seem a lot more comfortable. At least I'm a lot more comfortable with them running the ball and giving it to Dylan Johnson on third and two, third and three, third and four. They seem to be a lot more comfortable giving the ball to him on third down. I haven't yeah. got a chance, Kim. Yeah. I haven't got a chance to listen to DeBoer. Did did he was he asked that about Dylan Johnson? He didn't. He didn't know. Um, I mean, I'll just pretty much set the scene for you. Before Oregon State's final drive, uh, Dylan Johnson was on the sidelines, and you know he he looked gimpy. He didn't. He was trying to shake it off, and um, you know he went in for the uh, final drive and had a couple of nice runs, and then. Uh, post game, I saw him, uh, you know, limping pretty badly and he got onto one of the carts and they kind of, well, he didn't kind of, but he did not walk off the field. He was taken off on a cart and one of the coaches said, I hope he's okay. Um, so I don't know. Uh, so we don't know. It could have been, we don't know if it, it could even have been maybe cram or something. Don't, don't really have a clue. Yeah. I don't think you're so. not usually, you're not usually carted off because of a cramp. Yeah, no. So I don't know. Um, I mean, if I had to uh, make a uneducated guess, which is what I do, I would say it looked it probably ankle. OK, so we'll see. But I mean, he's become a beast out there. I mean, he's a man child. He's a man amongst boys and he's running real physical. So, um, you know, uh, they didn't give the ball to what Nixon had. What one carry? Tybo had a couple. Um, yes. So yeah. basically, yeah, Nixon had one carry. Rogers had one carry. I mean, Penix was the second leading rusher. He had three carries for 22 yards. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it was it was pretty much John, uh, DJ or bust yeah. tonight, as far as the run game. Good time for me to just jump out, you know, some stats that jump out. Um, Oregon State had 148 net yards on the ground, Washington with 110. Total offensive yards, 272 for Washington, 319 for Oregon State. But again, uh, add 40 to that from the safety call. If time of possession, Washington with 22 minutes, 33 seconds, and Oregon State 37-29, led by that nine-minute drive in the third quarter. Uh, third down conversions. Washington did a good job on third down. They were six of uh, 13, held Oregon State to three of 12. And then on fourth down, they held um, Oregon State to two of five on fourth down. So I thought that was a good number. I'm not seeing on this list penalties. Um, did yes. you guys? 10, 10 for 64 for Washington. Oregon State was eight for 75. Okay. Well, Washington's keeping up there, leading the nation in penalties. 
Uh, Dylan Johnson, 16 carries for 89, and Michael Penix, three carries for 22. Uh, he had a rushing touchdown. Passing-wise, like I said, difficult conditions here. 13 for 28 for 162 and two touchdowns. Romo Dunsey, seven receptions for 106 and two touchdowns. Uh, Jack Westover, four for 43. And um, let me take a look here. Uh, uh McAllister, the punter, he had four for 176. He averaged 44 yards per punt. Um, Damian Martinez had 26 carries. I didn't realize he had carried the ball that much. 26 carries for 123 and two touchdowns. Uh, DJU had six carries for 53. And he was uh, 15 of 31, but he had two interceptions for only 166 yards. And we went over the tackles before that. But um, I want to talk about the, you know, that last drive where uh, Washington was able to hold Oregon State, which was huge. And then Washington got the ball back. And that um, third down pass to Romo Dunsey, did that call kind of surprise you guys a little bit? No, not I mean, not me personally, because like I said, that's. That's been their identity. That's who they are. And yeah. and if they can if they can get Roma Dunze one on one with a fresh two freshman corner or a freshman corner, they're gonna take that they're gonna take those chances every single time. And that thing was just timed. I mean, that was just to me it looked like hundred percent timing because the ball was thrown before Rome had even looked back. And uh the ball was thrown definitely before the defensive back looked back. And that was probably Mike is that Michael's best pass of the day? Certainly. Oh. Was. Yeah, I mean, I would I would have said the first touchdown and then the second yeah. touchdown were were two pretty dang good passes too. Yeah, the t- the touchdown passes were really really good. It, it's just weird though because there are moments where it doesn't look like he's in a good groove at all, guys. Like it doesn't look like he's in sync, and then all of a sudden he'll come up with the money throw. Is that and the that's one? Really, is that the one Westover? Like the yeah, one but Westover? that's yeah that but that's what well that was a that was a crazy throw. Yeah, um, I'm sure that was one of those where Grubbs like, no, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. And um, but yeah, it's just it just there's a, a couple where either the ball's getting dropped early on, Kim, when you were when the rain was really going and Jalen McMillan and, and Jalen Polk just couldn't hold on to the ball. It Those felt like good passes, but maybe it looked like they were thrown too hard or they were just a little bit off where you need to be almost perfect in these kinds of conditions. And so that was tough. But then, like I said, every every time where you think that, oh, maybe he's lost it or he's not in the groove, can't find his rhythm or flow, he'll come up with a, with a pass that's in just an absolute dart that just is like, yep, yeah, that's the Michael Penix we all know. Yeah, I mean, that was a Heisman Trophy throw that he made to Romo Dunsey. It really, really was. So, um, But what's interesting, guys, and it's interesting because there's a lot of people on the, on the message boards tonight that basically said that Michael Penix lost the Heisman Trophy today because they look at those stats and then they look and see what, what Bo Nix did against Arizona State. And they're like, well, you know, there's no comparison. Here's the interesting part. Guess, guess who was here watching this game in these conditions – Kirk Herbstreit, one of the, if not the biggest talking head for college football, one of them. And if he's going to go there and he's going to be asked about how was Michael Penix, he's going to say, yeah, he had some moments where it didn't look like he was in sync or flow, but I'll tell you what, he had some absolute money throws and he did what he had to do to get his team a win. And at this point in the season, it doesn't matter how you get the win guys. It's all that matters is he's the starting quarterback and he threw for two touchdowns. He didn't turn the ball over. He had some amazing key runs 
which he's starting to slowly add that back into his repertoire. So, yeah, not a Heisman Trophy performance by any stretch of the imagination, yet everyone has already chalked him up as being out of the race completely. And I'm thinking, well, what if Washington beats Oregon in the Pac-12 title game if we're talking about hypotheticals? Yeah. You know, what What if he outduels Bo Nix again? Then what? Well, you talk – Kalen talked a little bit about it, but, uh, you know, the expectations of the fans and the close victories. And, you know, they went back to Michigan State. It was a tough game back there. It's on the road. It's three-hour time difference. And, you know, they were going through some chaos back there. But, you know, any time you go in the Midwest and that far away and come away with a road win, it's a big deal. Arizona – People were complaining about after the Arizona win, you know, that uh, they should have blown them out. But Arizona has been proven to be a really good team. You know, the Stanford and the Arizona State games, you know, they were ravaged with the flu. Michael Penix after the Stanford game, I didn't want to get close to him. He was that sick. And then they beat a USC team. Heisman Trophy, uh, you know, candidate uh, winner from last year. I think Washington led to the downfall because after the the Washington game, USC has really struggled after playing Washington. They beat Utah, who was ranked, and they beat, you know, the number 11 team in the country today on the road. So, you know, in addition, they're all different styles of teams. So, um, you know, hey, it's 11 and 0, and they won another game on the road in the Pac-10 against a, a 11th ranked team in the country. I mean, you can pick it apart if you want, but you just take it and run, advance and survive. Well, let me add a couple things, Kim, to the Kalen DeBoer legacy, which is obviously growing, uh, as was said to me by um, Matt Zenitz. Washington now is on a current 18 game winning streak. Going back to last year, obviously, because they haven't lost this year. Kalen Boer's 8-0 the last two seasons versus ranked opponents. He's just one of two Power 5 coaches undefeated versus ranked opponents the last two years. You want to take a guess who the other one is? It's the guy who's coaching the team that's above them in the uh, current unbeaten streak. Oh, uh, Kirby Smart. Yeah, that's it. Kalen Boer, Kirby Smart. Only two guys. That's a pretty good list to be a part of. Yep. Yeah, if you want to find things to pick apart, it's easy to do. I mean, you can. So at the end of the day, they're 11 and 0. They're going to go in the Apple Cup, and I don't see them losing. I don't see any way that they lose the Apple Cup, even though Washington State had an impressive victory last night over Colorado. But boy, that Colorado team is mailing it in. But uh, I think it's going to be electric for the Apple Cup, and then we head to Vegas. So uh, here's another thing to consider. <laughs> this will be really trippy. So let's say Washington does beat. Washington State, right? So they so they become the only Pac-12 team to go through an entire full schedule unbeaten. Only one ever, okay? So that's one thing. These last three games, they will have beaten teams that scored over 50 points the game before they played Washington. Yeah. And somehow the defense is a problem. Yeah, well... Uh... I, I'm not going to fault the defense today. I thought the offense struggled, but guys, I'm looking outside. It's ridiculous outside. It's like, it was like this the whole damn game. I mean, I'm looking to my left and the rain's coming to my right. I'm looking to my right and it's going to the left and it's just like a monsoon out there. And that's what it was like the whole damn game out there today. We need to find you an ark. I don't know. It's just a, maybe a boat to get me back to my car. Yeah. <laughs> so... Anyways, let's go ahead and wrap this up, guys. Uh, I got a long drive back to Beaverton tonight, and I'm still soaked. So, Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Uh, 11 and 0. Um, and you know, the crazy thing is, if they beat Wazoo 
um, they're 12 and 0, and only one other team has been 12 and 0, and that was 1991. And then if they beat the Oregon team, likely Oregon in the in the conference title game, uh, Washington, this will be the winningest team in program history. It's just it's hard to believe that what we're seeing, and I hope people really appreciate it. It's not easy to get wins on the road. Oregon State is a tough team. They're a physical team. Washington was able to withstand their best punches and give some of their own, and they came out with the win. This team, I don't want to say it, but they feel like a team of destiny right now, and it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens here over the next couple weeks as they get ready to face off in the Pac-12 title game, whoever it is. It sounds like it's going to be Oregon, but whoever it is, Washington needs to win out and see what they can do in the in offs. Hey, Chris, you know those uh, machines that they pull behind tractors with the big blowers to dry things off? Sure. There's one of those out there on the field right now. <laughs> it's just dumping. It's just dumping. And he's trying to dry the field. Hey, by the way, Chris, I don't know yes. if you remember this, but, you know, a bunch of guys were uh, mentioning this. On the field, you know, because this is um, a field turf field, they got a big crown on this field. Do you remember that? I don't necessarily remember it, but it's certainly very reminiscent of the old Husky Stadium with the old Husky Stadium with the track. I mean, that was that was a huge crown as well. But I, I, I keep forgetting just how short the grass is on or the turf is on that particular field turf field. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, there's a heavy crown on it, you know, and I was talking to, you know, a couple of the coaches, you know, and they said, yeah, that was the first thing we noticed. But it's kind of amusing watching the guy out there try to dry the field in a monsoon. But hey, he's probably making 25 bucks an hour. So good hey, for him. you, you got to stay on schedule, Ken. You can't you can't, <laughs> can't you can't let a little thing like a monsoon get in the way of of, of your job. It's, it's he's, he's driving a beaver cart, so he's OK. But uh, wrap it up, Chris Fetters. Yeah, everything that Scott said in terms of the history and the legacy and everything like that. I think, you know, a lot of Washington fans were like, man, we just haven't put a complete game together. And it's like, that's amazing, isn't it? They're they're 11 and 0 and still haven't put a complete game together. When Kalen DeBoer says they're built for it, you have to believe him at this point because they've pretty much won a game in almost every conceivable fashion. And this is the reason why I didn't predict a Washington win tonight was because I didn't see this scenario panning out. I didn't see Washington being able to bow up, win the turnover battle, be able to force DJ Uyangalale into becoming more of the passer and 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 not just more of into the passer, but get him where he was running, where he was kind of pressured, where he had to kind of make some quick decisions. And they got off the field, you know, most almost most of the time when they really needed to. And then obviously at the very end of the game, even Michael Penix. You know, the offense wasn't wasn't humming all, all cylinders, the rain coming down. They just go to their tried and true because that's who they are. That's what their identity is. They've made that play. Obviously, everyone's going to think about the game at Oregon with the touchdown. Same exact type of play. And they were able to go to it again to be able to salt this game away. 22-20. They're 11-0. I hope Washington fans, uh, you know, follow the lead of the the players and coaches and use the 24 hour rule and really enjoy this one. Even if you're going to pick it apart down the road, um, 11 and 0, man, it's really, really hard to do. Hey, Chris, I still got $10 worth of beaver bucks. I didn't use frame them. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know if it's good for beer. Never, when's the next time you're going to be at research stadium, Ken? Never. Maybe.
we'll see. <laughs> Never. <laughs> so, anyways, it's good to see Angie Machado, the publisher of Beaver Blitz, by the way. Angie says hi. And, uh, hey, 11-0 and going into the Apple Cup. I thought that they would stumble along sometime along the way. I thought that that UFC game was going to be a loss, but they just find a way to win. So, um, and that's the bottom line. It just comes all down to winning. And that Apple Cup game on uh, Friday is going to be electric Oregon and Oregon state play uh, Friday night. So that'll be pretty crazy. And then on to Las Vegas for that Friday night game in Las Vegas. So uh, if Oregon wins, they're going to get that extra day of rest, which is good for them. But uh, also just a reminder, the basketball team's got a, what time is that game tomorrow, Chris? Seven o'clock, seven o'clock against San Diego state. Who's uh, they're ranked, aren't they? I don't know if they are, but they're really good. Yeah, they're really. And they good. were really, really good last year. So. Yeah, ugly win last night uh, against uh, Xavier, Sean Miller coach team, but uh, basketball it'll be fun to watch that tomorrow. So, I got to walk back to my car in this monsoon, and it's not close. So I'll, I got a little bit more of this rain, and then I'm driving back to Beaverton tonight, and back in Seattle tomorrow. So, hey, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eckland. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.